Welcome back to the Going Going Gooner podcast brought to you by your party station Z89. This is episode 30. And before we get started, you can follow us on Twitter at ggoonerpod. I'm Arjun, as always, joined by my co-host Kyle. And today we're going to be talking all things soccer, Europa League, the end of the Premier League, um, our favorite moments from the season. Plus, we've got a preview of the UEFA Champions League final between Chelsea and Manchester City. So stay tuned for that. But we'll start out with what was an amazing Europa League final. Kyle, go ahead. I wouldn't call it amazing. I would call it a, a slog is how I'd put it. Um, it it was almost as if you could predict what was going to happen throughout the entire match. Uh, it In regulation, uh, it was between Villarreal and Man United in Gdansk. Um, it was a very poor match is what I'll say, that neither team attacked, neither team wanted to go forward. Uh, in the, I think, 17th minute, Gerard Moreno scores for Villarreal, makes it 1-0, place goes crazy. I went crazy. I was like, yes, let's go. I want United to lose. Um, Unai Emery, obviously coach of uh, Villarreal, they beat us in the semifinals. I was like, you know what? They should go on and win. It's a good evening. That's what it is here. <laughs> um, it, it, then the 55th minute, Edinson Cavani, after a, a wild deflection, uh, ends up in front of goal, score tapped it in basically, made it 1-1. Uh, and then from 55th minute to the 120th minute, nothing happened. Uh, nothing happened at all. It went to penalties. And uh, the penalties were, I would call them interesting. I think you agree with that. Um, De Gea did not get close to saving about any penalty. Um, uh, Jero Ruli for Villarreal got his hand to about three different penalties and should have saved a few, uh, but did not save any until the 11th penalty Every single outfield player scored their penalty. 10 pens, 10 in for both sides. Then uh, Ruley steps up, smashes his penalty in. I mean, absolutely blinder penalty. His, Francis Coquelin's penalty was amazing. Some amazing penalties from players who were eighth and ninth in the order. So you got to respect that. Then David De Gea steps up. And he attempted to uh, see where the keeper is going to go, where Ruley's going to go, and then pass it into the net. Uh, Ruli didn't go early. Uh, De Gea passed it directly to Ruli's hands. Uh, Ruli diving to his left, De Gea shooting to his right. Uh, penalty was saved. Villarreal won on pens 11 10. Overall score was 1 1. It was a very, very poor match, as I've said. And De Gea summarized it that he didn't save a penalty. Uh, he has not saved a penalty in five years for club or country. Uh, which is a bit bonkers. It's been 40 penalties he has not saved in a row, which is absurd to the highest regard. Um, it was just a bad match. But, hey, all credit to Unai Emery, Villarreal, Champions League next year, United Champions League next year. They already got it through the Prem, so they didn't need it. Uh, I was quite happy Villarreal got it, but it was just a bad match. It was just bad. It was awful. When I when I said amazing, I meant just the penalty shootout. Yeah, yeah. Just just yeah. I I wasn't I wasn't able to watch the game, but I caught the highlights last night. Um, I'm a little upset I missed that penalty shootout because that I mean, 21 straight makes in a penalty shootout is crazy. That's crazy clinical. And De Gea, uh, the best I can word it is that he tried to be Bruno Fernandez and failed. Yeah. Um. So. Tough break for United, who were looking for a trophy on the season. Ole's first, yeah. um, not know, able to lock it up. It's a shame United didn't win a penalty. 
Um, I do also want to add, though, on the goalkeepers, uh, Gerald Rulli, after the match, the keeper for the Real, uh, when doing press, was asked, what did you try to do with the penalty? He was like, look, I've never practiced penalties. I just tried to smack it and put as much power behind it, and it worked. It worked perfectly. Mm-hmm. Like, why didn't De Gea try that? He's a keeper. Keepers have a lot of power behind, on their leg. They have to. Just hit it as hard as possible. Like, the worst that happens is it's saved. But at least try and hit it as hard as possible. You're not, you're not Ederson. He's the only keeper who I'd be like, you can try and place it where you want to. But if I'm De Gea, I just hit it as hard as possible. I put my full leg behind it and smack it. He did. It was dumb. It was, um, to say the least, I was, when watching the highlights, I was like, well, great. United scored in the 55th. And then I remembered that the final score ended 1-1. How did United not score in the last 75 minutes of the game? I mean, that's just, if I was a United fan, I'd just be really upset with the tactics there. Um, I know that Emery, once they scored the first goal, they parked the bus as, as was expected. I mean, when you're going up against a side with as much attacking talent as United, parking the bus is the right way to go. But when you have 75 minutes to work against that press, um, you need to be scoring. And frankly, also, I was rooting against United, as I think every other English club fan was. I don't think anyone wanted United to win except for United fans. But, I mean, again, if I was a United fan, I would be very upset that we didn't lock up that trophy. Um, as, as little as it may mean for next season, um, you know, qualifying for Champions League, as Villarreal didn't do that through La Liga, um, if it was a team like Arsenal, the stakes may have been a bit higher. But for United, it... it may not have been a priority for Ole, but it surely was a priority for the fans trying to get a trophy. But, you know, we'll see because United, obviously I think they're going to be really ambitious in the transfer market this summer. Obviously Kane, guys like Kane, Holland and Sancho are all quote unquote available. So we'll see how they go in the next couple of months, but United after that performance may be a question mark. They may they lived in city shadow this season, despite coming second. And what we can transition over to a Premier League discussion now. Mm-hmm. City obviously won the title about two weeks ago, and um, on the final day, United couldn't finish anywhere but second. Um, so again, United living in city shadow for the since since Fergie left. So it's it's a question of how do you turn that around? It's if I'm United, I don't know how I turn this around. There has been discussion of, oh, United are improving. They came second. Yeah, they came second. But that's not saying a lot, comparatively. City won with 86 points. Um, and United ended with 74 points. Last year, United would have come third um, because City and Liverpool finished above that. The year before that, they would have barely come third. Um, like, City in any other year come third in the Premier League um, with their 86-point total that sure it was good if you put this back to 2017-2018 we came sixth uh city won the league with 100 points they would have ended up fifth everyone had an off year every team had an off year people saying united improved drastically leaps and bounds no they had a bang average premier league season their season just wasn't as bad as others was that city were the only team that didn't falter generally they had some moments where they looked bad. They lost six matches. So they looked bad somewhere. But outside of City, no team like had a consistent year. I mean, Everton at some point were first, and they ended up coming in 10th. Like, what do you expect? It's 
And Everton spent, um, I think, the third or fourth most, oh no, not third or fourth, fifth or sixth most time in the top four out of every club in the Prem. And they finished 10th at the end of the season. And Leicester, we'll go to the top four discussion. Leicester had the most time in the top four this entire season, even more than City. And uh, Leicester ended up finishing fifth on that final day. Their, Their last match was against Tottenham. It was a great match. Uh, it had implications for Chelsea and for Liverpool. And um, Tottenham winning that match meant that Tottenham finished above Arsenal in seventh place. Arsenal misses out on the Conference League. How sad. Oh, no. Um, it's almost like we you know. want the Conference League. Oh, no. Yeah. I was, I, was saying, I was saying last week that I, I, I would rather finish above Tottenham. Uh, sorry, pardon me. I would rather finish below Tottenham and get the Conference League. But when I was watching the matches on the final day, I was like, it would be really funny if we finished above above Tottenham. It ended up not happening, which I'm completely fine with. Um, but Arsenal finished out the season with five straight wins. Yeah. Um, we'll have a full Arsenal season recap um, out sometime next week. We'll break down our entire season, how we're going to look like going forward. But, I mean, the big shocker of the Premier League season um, – was West Ham in six. Yeah. And I mean, you walk through the table here. We'll just quickly mentioning West Ham, the Champions League spots. We have City, United, Liverpool, Chelsea. Chelsea have to do the play-in because they came fourth. Uh, and then Europa League, we have Leicester and West Ham, who, as you said, surprise team of the season. They played outstandingly this year. I mean, Thomas Suchek, one of the best CDMs in the Prem. You've got a great overall team built. They they finally got it back to where it was with Dimitri Payet. That when he was at West Ham, there was one season, they were like third the entire year. And it was like, they could beat any team on any given day. Same with this West Ham team. I was scared every time we faced them. Cause I'm like, we could very easily lose three, four now. And they, they played their socks off and they earned the Europa League spot. Then obviously you're going to the rest of the table real quick. Seventh, we said Spurs get the conference league. Eighth is Arsenal, ninth is Leeds, tenth is Everton, eleventh is Villa. Uh, then you got Newcastle, Wolves, Palace, Southampton, Brighton, and then Burnley in seventeenth, just avoiding relegation. And then relegation spots. Obviously, you have Fulham, West Brom, and Sheffield, as we've said. None of them cracked thirty points. Uh, Burnley in seventeenth finished at thirty-nine. So there was a good gap at the bottom of the table. Um, tough to see some of these teams go, but what can you do? Um, but it, the season, yeah, West Ham were the big shocker. West Ham and Leicester had a, amazing seasons. I mean, really, a lot of these teams did. It just no one was consistent. That and what- I mean, I, I, I have my Premier League predictions that I made back in August um, written down in my notes right here. Let me pull it up really quick. Um, two of the shockers were um, I had Villa finishing 17th. And I had West Ham getting relegated, I think, because West Ham had, they finished out the season last year pretty well in lockdown. But what a lot of people were talking about were how the turmoil that their ownership situation was going through. Um, So, I mean, West Ham shocked a lot of people. A lot of people had them finishing 15th or lower. And with Villa, that was an even bigger shock. For me, um, pardon me, it wasn't, but I mean, Villa, 
They were so good. They were so good all year. Finishing 11th is pretty good for that Villa side. I mean, um, Ollie Watkins, a great signing, um, uh, had his breakout game that I'll mention later. And then Jack Grealish, obviously one of the best players in the entire league. Um, But besides that, I mean, my, my predictions pretty much held up. I mean, I had City, Liverpool, Chelsea, and United all making Champions League, which they did. Um, my order was a little off. I had Liverpool finishing second, Chelsea third, United fourth, but obviously I couldn't have predicted Virgil van Dijk being out for most of the year. And you couldn't have predicted um, basically all of Liverpool collapsing and all of Chelsea collapsing. It just yeah. And um, what's funny, I had Arsenal fifth. Obviously, we're more optimistic as we're Arsenal fans. I had Wolves finishing sixth. Wolves underperformed a lot all it was year. A bad year for them. It it. I think I put a lot of it on the fact that Rolo uh, Jimenez was out for a lot of the year. Um, mm-hmm. He is back in training, though, which we love to hear. Um, after the scary head injury he suffered this season, uh, it was against us, I believe. It was, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I put that down to not having an actual striker. Uh, losing Diogo Jota to Liverpool, he is so good. And losing him to them means there's one less option they have. Uh, Pedro Neto is really good. They got a lot of good, good young players. It's just, can they develop? They sacked Nuno Espirito Santos, which I was sad to see him leave. He is such a class manager. I would not be shocked if he gets a job very swiftly after this. Um, if, say, Brendan Rodgers were to leave Leicester, I think he'd go to Leicester very easily. That if Brendan Rodgers were to get a job, say, at, I don't know, United. Maybe not. Uh, United, Arsenal, Spurs. If one of them were to come grab him, I wouldn't be shocked if Espirito Santos ends up at one of the other Prem clubs in the top half. He's great. It's it's awesome. It's I, I'm sad to see him leave though. Um, but they under. But like as you as you said, Kyle. I mean, this was a pretty off year for a lot of clubs. I mean, you see the gap between 11th and 12th was 10 points. Villa came 11th with 55. Newcastle came 12th with 45. And then the gap between 12th and 17th was six points. So, I mean, that is the new, I mean, that mid table sort of range from 45 to 39 points from 12th to 17th, they were in their own tier. And then from pretty much Villa all the way up to Tottenham and West Ham, that was their own tier. And I mean, usually the tiers are more defined, more broken up, but I mean, this year, Clubs didn't perform as well, obviously, because no fans, because there was um, a lot of restrictions. Players were getting ruled out because of COVID. Um, and then between the relegated sides in 17th place, there were 11 points. So, I mean, there was a clear gap between the big dogs and the guys getting relegated. So it'll be interesting to see how Norwich and Watford fare next, next season when they come up back with fans back in the stands and um, the championship final uh, is set at Wembley. Um, I, let me say, I am excited for this. We have Swansea and Brentford and I am a huge fan of Brentford. I just I don't know how to fully say it. I'm ex- I'm just uh, how do I how do I classify this? Um, Brentford are an amazing side, and I'm excited to see them perform. And I mean, realistically, like win. 
essentially. I want Brentford in the Premier League next year. I don't want Swansea. I love them. But they've been in the Premier League so often. I want to see Brentford in the Premier League next season. And Brentford, want- Brentford have never been in the Premier League. They were relegated into the fourth tier in 1998. Um, they were relegated um, in 2007 back to League Two to the fourth tier. So in the last 13 years, they've made it back up to the championship. They were in the playoff last year. They didn't make it. Um, but the game is, I believe, this um, this Saturday, the same day as the Champions League final. Man. So it'll be before the Champions League final um, to see. I mean, and that's one of – that's it, it's dubbed the most expensive game in football because the team that wins it gets to be in the Premier League, the most lucrative league in the entire world. It's the – it's the honor of getting up to the Premier League. And for Brentford, it'd be in the Premier League for the first time. For Swansea, you'd be getting back into the Premier League. Um, and Swansea, obviously, they, they made waves when they were in the Premier League with players like Michu, Nathan Dyer. Um, but Brentford, it would be so interesting to see them. I mean, it, uh, the championship final is always an amazing clash. So I'm really excited to see how that goes, to see who the third team to come up to the Premier is to join Norwich and Watford. Yeah, and I just want to add in some players to watch for both sides. Um, firstly, the keeper for Brentford, David Raya, great goalkeeper, 25, Spanish, six-foot guy. He's solid, got a good record. Um, you've got for Brentford in general some player names people recognize. You've got Pontus Janssen, the former Leeds player, Winston Reed, former West Ham man mm-hmm. himself, uh, Josh De Silva, who used to be an Arsenal product. Um, you've also got, as I said, even Tony, he is an electric striker for Brentford. He's a player I want in the Premier League, regardless of if Brentford make it or not. I think if they don't get in, he's signed by somebody in this Premier League because he is just dynamite up front. And then for Swansea, the other side, I mean, they're just, I, I, woof. they're, they're a very good side. Um, Andre Ayew, obviously, we all know that you know, we all know him. Uh, the Ghanaian, he's been in the Premier League before with a lot of teams. He's great. He's good. Jamal Lowe, um, solid player. Uh, Hurahan, very good. They've got an overall very strong side um, that has been in the Premier League before. Nathan Dyer, among others, Wayne Routledge. Um, in goal, they have Woodman, who's good. Hammer's decent. They're a very good side. Um and in the table, they were just behind Brentford in fourth. Um, so Brentford were 87 points, four back of Watford. Swansea were seven back of them. Um, so Brentford's the better side. I, ho- I hope Brentford makes it through. I don't want Swansea yet, but that's, that's just me. That's just me. Um, but going from the match of the million dollar, ma- the billion, millions and millions of dollar match to multiple matches we've seen this season in the Premier League. What are your top – give me your top three matches this season. We've seen the Premier League. I think we're going to have a very similar list. Um, but let me hear it. Start number three for you. What was your third favorite match of the season? My third favorite match of the season, um, I'm going to say Villa-Liverpool. That match ended 7-2. to two. Um, That really was – I mean, watching that game was a lot of fun because obviously seeing Liverpool getting drubbed like that, but I mean, the storyline was the Ollie Watkins hat trick. I mean, it was, that game was in early October. That was his breakout game. Um, The signing from Brentford, I believe, Ollie Watkins um, transferred from Brentford to Villa and was just had an outstanding first season, 14 goals. 
um, for Villa this year. He was the championship player of the year last year. Um, really good signing for Villa, someone who can take this club forward. Um, but that match, also I think it cemented um, or established that Liverpool were not going to be the same side as they were last year. Exactly. I think Van Dyke was still available for that match. They didn't have Allison in goal for it. Um, uh, Adrian was in goal for that match. But I think that was the moment when people knew that Liverpool weren't at the caliber and um, to challenge, to defend their title. And I mean, to, to lose 7-2 to Villa um, in that fashion, that's just, um, just such a great Premier League moment to, to have all those storylines come together. So that's my third favorite moment of the season. See, that's a solid one. Uh, I'll talk about that one in a little bit. Um, for me, third, though, I, I had to put an Arsenal match in here. I think you know what it's going to be. It's the Arsenal uh, victory against Chelsea 3-1. That was the first match where we saw the players we wanted to see play. We saw Gabriel Martinelli play, and he's just he's so good. He's so good. I don't have to say it, but I'm going to say it. He's so good. Why don't we play him more? <laughs> Arteta, please. Um he played outstandingly. Smith Rowe was dynamic. Saka, amazing. Like that match, watching Arsenal was like watching the team I knew he could be all season. We finally saw it. And that was the young players played, none of the quote unquote old guard really. And it was just a dynamite performance all around. I mean, Thomas Partey had himself a crazy match. I, that was, that's for me my third. That's, it was just electric. Uh, and it was against Chelsea which I mean leads me into my second one, uh, which was the West Brom 5-2 victory over Chelsea because some of the goals scored by West Brom in that match, I don't really know how to quantify them. Um, it was, I'm, I, I'm trying to think of how to like properly put this into words, how absurd some of them were. Um, West Brom played their absolute hearts out. Um, it was the beginning of April. And I mean, Pereira, some outstanding goals. Robinson played amazingly. Dianya scored. It was watching Chelsea lose like that was crazy because they were on a great run of form. They looked good and then got shot down by West Brom. That's a good one. That's one I was considering um, because I, I think I would have considered it more had Chelsea dropped out of top four. Um but my number two is the same as your number three, Arsenal-Chelsea, that match on, on Boxing Day. Um, what a match. I mean, on this podcast, we were so dejected um, for the first, like, six weeks that we were doing it because our performances were so poor, so bad. It was in that stretch where we uh, lost to Burnley and Southampton, were knocked out of the FA Cup. But that match, the first time we saw Emil Smith-Rowe start um, for Arsenal in the Premier League, he was outstanding that day. Um, Bukayo Saka with his goal, one of my favorite goals of the season. Um, just a fantastic match to, to win against a London rival 3-1 um, in, in a time when we were doing so poorly. And I distinctly remember, I mean, the podcast we recorded after that match was so positive, so optimistic. And that's the feeling I want to have as an Arsenal fan. Um, I know obviously that's not going to be everyone's favorite moment because they're not Arsenal fans, but, but for us, that was a special moment. And that was a great turning point for us in the season. I mentioned, I've mentioned multiple times that 
we're, we were third in the table since that match. Um, so you can really, you can tangibly see how much that match changed our season, despite being knocked out in the Europa League semifinals, despite finishing eighth in the table, you can, you can feel, you can see how our youngsters influenced that match. Um, so that's going to be my second favorite moment of the season. I mean, that's a solid one. Uh, and I'll go my number one first, because you already mentioned it. It was the Villa Liverpool match seven, two again, Ollie Watkins coming out party. Uh, for me, I Villa is a team I've used the past two years in career mode because I love Jack Grealish. And he, I cannot sing his praises more. He got hurt in the second half of the year for a good bit of the year. If he had played the rest of the season, I think Villa A, finish higher in the table. And I think B, he probably wins player of the year because he was dynamic all year. He is one of the best attacking midfielders in the Premier League. England, he's he deserves to be a starting cam for them. I don't remember if he got called up or not. He's still kind of in and out of injury. Um, but that was – watching that match happen, I've watched the replay of that match probably eight times because I just can't believe what I'm, I watch. Like, it was a fourth-minute goal, and then just Watkins piles it on, McGinn scored, Barkley scored, Grealish. Like, it was just such a dynamic match. And, I mean, it was – it was a drubbing is the only way to really put it. Um, but that's my top match of the year. What was yours? Cause I don't, I, I want to hear that. I want to see what your top match of the year is. Uh, before I'll do an honorable mention for like my favorite moments of the season. Number one, I'll do um, our North London Derby win um, at the Emirates, no fans, but we ended up winning that one two one. And you'll hear more about that match a little bit later. Um, and another honorable mention is um, the Anfield losing streak that Liverpool went through because that was just a shocker to, for, for Anfield to be such a fortress for Liverpool for the last three or four or five years and for them to go on, you know, six, seven game losing streak at Anfield. Um, that was crazy. But what's even crazier is my number one moment. Um, the Allison header. Okay. Um, that's a reasonable one. If 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 Allison doesn't score that header, um, Liverpool most likely don't make Champions League. Um, because that match was the catalyst for the rest of Liverpool season. Liverpool were if they didn't get that header, they would have drawn that match, and on points they would have finished with sixty-seven, which still would have been above Leicester. But I think if you draw West Brom there, I think Leicester have the better odds to play better and, and come out on top in the top four race. And it's just an incredible story um, for Allison to get a header. I mean, obviously went through a tough time, lost his father um, back in February, but the fact that Liverpool had such a poor run of form um, losing so many matches at home uh, through February and March, and they still managed to finish third in the table because of a moment like that. It's what the Premier League is all about. And um, Liverpool are going to be a scary side next year. Um, I, I still maintain that their squad depth is lacking, um, which is why they had such a poor run of form um, in the middle of the season. But once they get their defense back and once they shore up their midfield, if they can get some depth in there, they'll be title contenders again. I agree. And I mean, we'll talk about that more another day. Um, but I do want to add in uh, Jeannie Wijnaldum is leaving on a free 
uh, most likely to Barcelona. Um, but they are bringing in uh, Ibrahim Konate from RB Leipzig, who is a stud in defense. He can play right back. He can play center back. So he gives them a lot, especially if they play a three back and they put Alexander Arnold on the wing as they always do. He can play as that right-sided center back along with Van Dijk and Gomez, and that'll be a scary trio. Um, but a player who also is leaving on a free along with Wijnaldum, not from Liverpool. I do want to bring up another honorable mention. Uh, the last match of the season for Man City, 5-0 uh, over Everton. It ended with two Sergio Aguero goals. He was brought on and he scored two, breaking Wayne Rooney's record for most goals uh, by for one Premier League club. Uh, and Aguero with the brace to end it. He is going to Barcelona next season. I think it's all, all but confirmed. Um, he not having him in the Premier League is going to be really sad. He's such a good player. And there has been matches where I've been like, if he's on the pitch, I am terrified. Just because at any point in time, it takes a single pass to him close to the, the D, just outside the box. And you're like, he's going to score. You, you know he's going to score. That There's certain players you know when they get in a certain area, there's going to be a goal involved. Either he's going to score or it's going to bounce someone else they're going to score. It's He's one of those players. He's dynamic. He's electric. And I wish him the best of Barcelona but I'm happy that he doesn't have to terrorize our defense anymore. I'm just terrified as to who they're going to bring in to replace him. Who's going to terrify or terrify, terrify our defense again, whether it be Holland or Kane, or hopefully someone not as good. Um, and seeing, seeing Messi and Aguero on the same team provided that Messi stays is going to be really fun. Um, yeah. They they're, they're best friends um, in the Argentina team. So um, I, I think really smart business from Barcelona to bring Aguero in to, to convince Messi to stay um, because now Messi has incentive. He's got a friend. He's got um, another attacking option that they lost in Luis Suarez last year. Um, so that's going to be a lot of fun to watch. I'm really happy with that transfer. Obviously sad that he won't be playing in the Premier League, but um, seeing him on Barcelona, my first favorite club, um, I'm excited for that. Yeah, it's exciting. And I do also, I mean, want to mention, we're kind of jumping around this episode. Sorry to everyone listening. Um, I do want to bring up the teams that did win uh, their leagues, top five leagues. Obviously, City won the Prem. Uh, Bayern won the Bundesliga with Lewandowski scoring 41 goals, breaking Gerd Müller's record for in-season goals um, for like one single season, which is absurd. He scored 41 and he didn't even play the entire year. Uh, he had some matches he missed. So Congrats to Bayern. Um, in the Serie A, I mean, Inter Milan won. Uh, they then fired Conte about yesterday. Um, they won after a long, hard-fought season. Inter deserved it, though. They played their hearts out. They played amazingly. Um, Juve ended up getting Champions League barely because um, Napoli choked it away. Um, then in uh, Spain, Atletico Madrid fronted by Luis Suarez, the player you mentioned, who left Barcelona, helped them uh, seal uh, the league, um, beating Real Madrid in second and Barcelona in third. So they ended up winning since the first, uh, since I believe 2013 or 14. Um, Then probably the shocker of them all in France, uh, Lille won the Liga 1 title after a crazy year uh, they won on the final match day. They can they officially won it. PSG had a poor year in the French league in the French top tier. Um, 
Lille have a lot of players that I would not be shocked if they end up in different leagues next year because their team is absurd. Um, so congratulations to those five teams. Um, but to jump on now from top teams uh, and top moments to more moments, to the top goals of the season in the Premier League, um, there was a handful to pick from. None that I felt were the best of the best. That I think we've seen a better crop of top goals of the year. Um, but there were a few that did stand out for us. Um, so I'll get us kicked off with a, a match you mentioned earlier and as an honorable mention. I think you're going to bring this up at some point as well. Uh, the third best goal for me this season, um, it's dragged down because of the Spurs player, uh, Eric Lamella's Panenka, uh, or not Panenka, uh, Rabona. Rabona. Panenka's a penalty. Uh, his Rabona goal versus Arsenal, uh, the North London Derby, we ended up winning 2-1. Sucks to be Spurs. Um, but that was a wonder goal. It's I just can't put it higher because it's a Spurs player against Arsenal. But that's that's just me. <laughs> Uh, my third favorite goal of the season was Sebastian Aller versus Palace. Um, thumped in a bicycle kick, which, I mean, whenever you see a bicycle kick or, or a scissor kick, you rarely see them with that much power unless it's Zlatan doing it. And um, Aller to put that much power on it, to thump it past Gaiata. Great goal. That's my third favorite of the season. I I couldn't agree more. That's why it's my second favorite goal of the season. Uh, it's For me, the bicycle kick is one of the most absurd things to see because it means a player has to have gotten themselves to the correct spot to lean back and then like be acrobatic enough to kick it properly in the right direction. And he didn't put it like directly at the keeper. He put it like in the corner, uh, which all props to him. He a heck of a player. Um, so that's my second. Uh, what is, what is number two for you? Let me hear. Two for me is Lamella's um, okay. because I mean, it would be, it, it is technically the best goal on here. Um, because I mean, Lamella's for him to score that twice in a career is insane for him to score that once in a career is insane for him to score that twice is even more ridiculous. I mean, whenever he scored that, I was just in shock. I was like, that was, I think that was Tottenham's second touch in the box that match, um, for him to conjure up something like that for the second time in his career, he scored one like that in the Europa league back in 2013, 14, um, just an insane goal. Um, it would be lower on here had we lost the game. Um, but <laughs> I, I think yeah, is, is a respectable placement, especially since I think we may have the same number one, Kyle. I'm interested to see what our number one is. Um, but I, I do want to add to that, that I think for me, it got taken down to number three because of the fact that he scored the Europa League one, which if that was in the Prem, that would have been number one for me. Because the Europa League goal, if anyone has not seen it, Google it because it is outside the box and he is running towards the ball with any uh, Rabona's it with his left foot into the corner. And it's just absurd that if it was that the first time strike as well, first time like ridiculous. So like it's not on that level. So I have to take it down a notch. Um, I want to hear your, your number one goal of the season. I think I know what it's going to be. Yankee mentioned it already. But what is your number one goal of the season? Uh, Manuel Lanzini versus uh, Tottenham. Oh, okay. That goal, um, the skill that that goal took is absurd. The ball was, I'll describe it, the ball was coming towards him from the left side. He, He volleys it, cuts across it, and hits it to his right towards the corner 
and um, equalizes for West Ham uh, in the 94th minute against Tottenham. Um, for me, I could watch that goal on repeat forever, especially because it strikes the bar and goes in as well. It's just a technically perfect goal. The way he strikes it is amazing. And the fact it's a last minute equalizer as well makes it just that much more special. Whenever you have a goal like that, whenever you have a shot like that, everyone's shouting, don't shoot. Why are you shooting that? Because it's the 94th minute. It's going to be probably the last kick of the match. Um, for him to, to pull that out of his hat um, in a moment like that, amazing. It's my favorite goal of the year. I... I completely forgot about that, to be quite honest with you. Um, that would be my top three, but I forgot about it. Um, I, I'm, a, I'm a sucker for a good goal, but I am a sucker for a curler. Um, that's why I've got to go with Dwight McNeil uh, against, mm. I believe, uh, if I can check. Everton. It was against, it was against Everton. Everton. Yeah, I remember the that. Curler, he gets it. He goes past Allen uh, with, his, with one touch and then a slight touch with his left foot. And then curls it barely out of his feet, curls it top corner past uh, the keeper. And it was, I'm a sucker for a curler. And seeing it like watching that on the, like when I was watching my laptop, seeing the curl on it, like you can just see the ball dipping. You're like, it's gonna go in, it's gonna go in, it's gonna go in. And to have it go in that far into the corner, just, I, I can't, I can't get better than that. That was, one of the best goals I've seen. It's beautiful. Um, there are, there have been more seasons where I've seen better goals, but that, that one for me is number one. Uh, but do I want to shout out Lanzini also Allison? We have to mention it. I mean, a keeper scoring a goal is insane in its own right. Um, if we're going prem teams in general, I would also want to shout out Yuri Tielemans in the FA cup. It doesn't count in the premier league, but you know, whatever. Um, because that for me, again, just the skill it takes for certain strikes like Lanzini's, like McNeil's, like Tielemans, it's like being like I was today playing soccer for about an hour and a half. And when you're standing 25, 30 yards away, it is a very far distance to hit the ball. well. Like to hit it that well, that sweetly into the correct spot you want to pass a goalkeeper who's six foot, six, five, whatever. Like it's not easy. So doing them in-game is crazy. So shout out to all of them. They all deserve the love. Um, and I mean, it's players that, again, deserve more love. We're shifting on to our top players of the season. Um, firstly, give me some honorable mentions you've got. Uh, I've got a few honorable mentions, um, and then we'll go 3-2-1. So what honorable mentions you got for uh, player of the season? And then go into number three for me. I'll throw out, I'll throw out three honorable mentions. Um... Hyungmin's son, uh, Kevin De Bruyne, and Mohamed Salah. Those are my honorable mentions. Uh, De, Bruyne, De Bruyne would be in the top three had he played the entire season. Um, I think, obviously, he's incredibly influential to that, that City team. But City, as they showed, they can survive without him. Um, they can survive without him. They can't thrive without him. Um, but he is the heartbeat of that midfield. He's the heartbeat of that attack. Um, and for me, the best midfielder in the world, but he missed a lot of time with injury, which is unfortunate because I would have loved to see him play the entire season. And again, Mohamed Salah without Salah, Liverpool wouldn't have made champions league. They wouldn't have been even close, um, because he was their most clinical attacker. Mane didn't have a great season. Uh, Diogo Jota, um, was a great super sub, but didn't play, um, 
in the starting lineup as much and also was hurt. And we all know how I feel about Roberto Firmino up there. Um, so Salah, easily the best player on that Liverpool team um, this season um, because no Virgil van Dijk, obviously. So those are my honorable mentions. Okay, honorable mentions. Give me your uh, – I'll give my honorable mentions as well then. Um, I've got on here uh, – I went uh, – the one player I have similar is Kevin De Bruyne. I also – he – what a year. Um, I've got Bruno Fernandez on here too because of just his wild year. I didn't put him in top three, um, but he, I mean, goals and assists, he bagged them all. I may hate him because he plays for United, um, but he's a damn good player. Um, he's just, he's awesome. Um, and I've also got uh, Pierre-Emil Hoiberg. Again, just such a good player for Spurs. I don't like giving Spurs love, but he... Probably one of the best CDMs in the Premier League this season. I'd probably put him close to team of the season. Electric year. Um, came from Southampton, had himself a time. Um, I also have to put Jack Grealish up here. I He just missed out for me on top three because of injury. Like you said with KDB, if he wasn't hurt, he would be top three for me. Um, but that being said, I'm going to move on to my third place. Um, the top three for me has a very interesting theme. Uh, can you guess what theme that is, Arjun? Uh, no, I can't. Defenders? The theme is Man City. Um, because there were three players for me that stood out. I may as well just go through all of them at this point. Um, there were three players for me that just had the best seasons, and they all played for City because either they showed out or they played the best or they did a lot for the team that no one else could have. Uh, for me, third, I had to go Ilkay Gundogan because Gundogan was, I believe, City's leading goal scorer this year. Um, and again, City didn't have a striker for a lot of the year because Jesus and Aguero were out hurt. They played a false nine a lot of the time with KDB or Phil Foden or someone else in that slot and Gudon bagged goals. Seeing a player bag this many goals and play that well in midfield as he did, I got to give him credit where credit's due. Uh, I had him third. Um, and I'll, I'll do the last two real quick. I feel like we're going to have a generally similar list on some of these players. Number two for me, KDB's at some point replacement, Phil Foden. Just, I, I, I don't know what to say about him. He's, he is going to be one of the best players in the world in a few years. He, Lights out. Lights out performances. The, uh, his left foot is amazing. He's got this just different pace to him. He's not the fastest player in the world, but he's got a very good change of pace and that he can burn you if he wants to. He's not going to burn you the entire pitch, but he'll burn you in a heartbeat. Um, technically gifted, has a great, is a great striker of the ball. Everything about him is great. I have to give him props all around. And I mean, that leaves my top slot, um, Ruben Diaz best defender in the Prem this year. Um, I put him and Van Dyke as a top two defenders in the Prem. When healthy, Diaz just lights out. I loved him at Benfica. I want Arsenal to sign him. We didn't. Um, he's he's so good. He he is the first city defender that I'm like, you are a proper defender. You are someone I am scared to have my player go up against. That all love to company, all love to Stones, all of them. No one's on the level Diaz is. Maybe company in his prime, maybe. 
but Ruben Diaz is on another level. He is the reason City won the Premier League this year. So he's my number one slot. Uh, run me through your top three, though. I would like to hear this. So, first of all, I'll give my reasoning for why Gundogan and Foden aren't on mine. Um, Gundogan, I think, fantastic midfielder, um, had a good seat, had a great season. Um, but I don't think for him that's sustainable going forward. I don't, I think for him, this is his best season that he will have. Um, as a city player. Um, but I think someone who's um, more influential at that number three spot is Bruno Fernandez. Um, I think Bruno Fernandez was the second top goal scorer uh, in the Prem this year, second or third, and the second, second top assister. And um, he has turned around that United side. We talked at the beginning about um, how similar um, that United may not have had a drastically better season this season um, than last, but I think the main difference from this season uh, to last for United is the presence of Bruno Fernandes and how incredible he's been. I don't think he's better than De Bruyne. I don't think he will be. I don't think that his peak will meet De Bruyne's peak ever, but I think Bruno Fernandes this season um, was fantastic. Um, and he was the best player that United had. He is the best player that United have right now. Um, Pogba is probably still the most talented, but Bruno Fernandez, I'd love to have an influential player like that on Arsenal. That's someone that that's something that Arsenal fans talk about a lot. See how Fernandez has changed, um, United. Um, so for me, having a player like Bruno Fernandes who can turn the entire midfield around and make the attack better, um, he's my third best player of the season. And for number two, the reason why I didn't have Foden in there is that he only played 28 games this season and only started 17. Next season and the season after that, Foden is an easy top five. But for this year, I don't think he played enough. Um, and that's not on him. Obviously, the performances he put in were fantastic, especially in the Champions League and in the Prem. And we'll see how he plays this Saturday in the Champions League final, which we'll have a preview of in just a couple minutes. But for number two, I've got Harry Kane. Um, yeah. In what is probably his last season for Tottenham, he scored the most goals in the Premier League, won the Golden Boot, and registered the most assists in the Premier League, which is absurd. Before this, a lot of people just saw Harry Kane as a goal poacher, a goal scorer. This year, he established himself as a creator as well. And for him to evolve his game like that makes him that much scarier for the club that he goes to next, which may be United, maybe City, maybe Chelsea. Whichever club gets him is getting a top three striker in the world, um, undisputably, I think. Yeah, um, I, would, I would agree. I mean... He had a heck of a year. I didn't put him in here because I feel like he fell off a cliff at the end of the season. Um, but I get he, yeah, heck of a year. Um, and I'm assuming number one, if you said you didn't have uh, Foden and uh, you didn't have Gundogan, I'm assuming your number one is the exact same as mine, if I'm not mistaken. Kane would have been number one if Tottenham did better this season because the player that was most influential to Manchester City's title win was Ruben Diaz. Uh, signing of the summer by a mile. Um, he was, he 
contributed the most to City. We've said um, that City's defense was the one weak spot that they had, especially at center back once company left. And Diaz fits in that role so well. He is the reason why Portugal is a top contender at the Euros this year as well, plus Bruno Fernandes. Um, and obviously the presence of Cristiano Ronaldo is going to help too. Ronaldo helps a little bit. <laughs> um, but Ruben Diaz, I think he'll win the PFA player of the year. I think he won't be the consensus pick because you've got players like Kane, you've got players like Fernandez, you've got players like um, Gundogan and De Bruyne. But Ruben Diaz is my Premier League player of the year this year. He, I, he just had such a good year. I mean, again, him and Van Dyke are to, by far and away the two best defenders in the Prem. I think we can kind of agree on that. They and again, I don't think I don't think Ruben Diaz is on Van Dyke's level. I don't think he. I think he is close. I think it's closer than people think. But seeing both of them back it, playing each other in the Premier League next year is going to be a lot of fun to oh, yeah. see. Um, obviously, Van Dyke coming after coming off of a freak injury may not be the player he was before. But if he is, Van Dyke and Diaz playing in the Premier League together. Um. As, as rivals is going to be a lot of fun to watch. Agreed. And, and you don't say that often about defenders. No, there's there hasn't really been many great defenders in the past few years in the Prem besides Van Dyke, but Diaz is, I would put him above the rest, but below Van Dyke. That Van Dyke's on a level of his own, and just below that, tier-wise, I'd put Diaz kind of on his mm-hmm. own category because he's Agreed. so good. Um, but that'll wrap it up for now for our Premier League discussion. Um, we will, as you said, next week we'll have some Arsenal talk over the season, you know, how it was interesting in a lot of ways. Uh, but, but before we get to that next week, uh, right now, we got to discuss the Champions League. Because the Champions League final, as we've said, is coming up this weekend. We have Man City taking on Chelsea. Now, there's a lot of feelings on this match, being it a, a full pre, a full Prem English final. Um there are an interesting storyline kind of everywhere. You've got players coming back from injury. You've got Chelsea having a very weird end to the season. City being City. Um, Aguero saying that he's not going to leave City till he won a Champions League and he could do it as he leaves the, the club, which would be poetic. Um, but this is a very interesting match. Um, City are the better side. I think we can agree to that. Um but Chelsea have played lights out recently, but they have also had a weird end of the year. So who do you think is going to win this match? What, give me the scoreline. What are you feeling about going into this match? How it's going to end up? Um, well, like you said, I think City are the best um, team in the world. Uh, I think the last two times these teams have played, obviously Chelsea knocked out uh, City from the FA Cup. And Chelsea defeated City in the Premier League. So Chelsea have gotten the better of City in the last two matches that they've played. Um, I think it's going to be close because, in my opinion, City are better than Chelsea in every single way. In every single way. They've got a better goalkeeper. They've got a better back line. They've got a much better midfield. And they've got a better attack, even without a striker. And obviously, I think Pep Guardiola is one of the best managers in the world, while Thomas Tuchel is up there. But I don't think he's on Pep's level. I don't think he's even close. 
City on paper, on the field, are the best team in the world. And that's why I think they're going to take this one. I think it's going to be really tight, though, because Chelsea are playing for their first Champions League in about 10 years since Drogba won it for them. And City are playing for their first Champions League. So City may have a little more to play for, but Chelsea, to round out this season, if you told them that they'd even be in a Champions League final at the start of the season, they would have told you to shut up. Because even in December, when they were, when they were um, struggling with Lampard, we both thought that Lampard uh, firing was too hasty. But it's proven to not be because Thomas Tuchel has done an incredible job with this side, working with what he has. It's, it's really tough to call because I love the way City play. And I obviously, I think they're the best team in the world by a mile. I think that um, the Bayern PSG tie showed that Bayern, without Lewandowski, aren't close to City's quality. And City, without a true striker, are somehow playing like this. I mean, I've been an advocate for City all year it would be kind of dumb for me to say that they don't win the Champions League. It would have been even cooler if they beat Chelsea in the semifinal to get the FA Cup and Guardiola could have gotten a quadruple. Yeah, But, but I think the scoreline, the scoreline I think is going to be 2-1. And I think it's going to be a really fun one to watch. I think it's going to be a lot more fun to watch than the, uh, than the Europa League because I don't think either team is going to park the bus at any point. I think both teams are going to go for it. I think they're going to go out there and they're going to grab it. And I think City are going to be the one to grab it first. I fully agree. Uh, you know what's better than football, Arjun? Free what football. Is? Free football is better. I think, Ooh. just like the Europa League, we go to stoppage time. I think we go into extra time. We go. We get 30-plus minutes. Um, but we're not going to pens. Pens is not happening. Um, I also love poetry. I love a good story. I love a good ending to a story. Uh, I think City will win 3-2. Because the same thing you said... They're not going to park the bus. Neither team will. They're going to go all out for it. Chelsea had an issue defending. City, I think, are going to go overly attacking in this match, and they're going to cause themselves a lot of issues at the back. Um, I think it'll end 3-2 in City's favor. I think we see a defender goal. I think we see a Foden goal for City. Uh, for Chelsea, I think we got a Pulisic, and whoever's playing striker, whether it be Tammy or Werner, um, which would be kind of hilarious because Werner has not scored a lot. Um and for the last goal, I mean, City are going to win it. I'm going like 116th minute. Uh, Mario gets a time, but it's going to be Sergio Aguero. I think he gets Ooh. subbed on late in the wow. second half. And then he just, he comes, he comes through when his team needs him. I think he gets through on goal, puts it past the keeper and City starts celebrating and they end up winning 3-2 and Aguero can lift it. Having been the match winner, I think they left it uh, winning 3-2. I think it'll be poetry. I, I really do. Um, we hopefully, by the way, will have coverage of this match on our Twitter, at GGGunnerPod, um, if, if we can get it. Um, I will be on vacation, so I will attempt to get uh, good enough internet to watch and tweak the match. We will have to find out later. Um, but we will be discussing it. We also be bringing more content to the Twitter. Um, we are sorry for the uh, amount of content we've had on there. It's been a bit difficult recently. We've been going through our finals for college and moving out, going different places. 
there's been a lot of things happening, been a lot less time to focus and dedicate to the podcast or Twitter. We're going to get back on that, back on the grind. I know I'll be tweeting out a lot more, um, especially during the Euros. We're going to be tweeting out constantly. Um, have a lot of discussion leading up to those starting in only two weeks, two, three weeks, the Euros start. Uh, and we have coverage of those, obviously, as we said. Um, but next week, we'll have some Champions League wrap-ups, uh, some Arsenal discussion, maybe a bit more. We'll see where we go. Um, but I think that'll do it, Arjun. Um, thank you all for tuning in to episode 30 of the Going Going Gooner podcast. We have reached the 30 mark. It's crazy to be here. Um, we love being here. Um, and thank you all for listening, being awesome listeners. Uh, our listener base is growing. We are our average listener uh, number per episode is going up. We love that. We love to see that. Um, for myself, Marjun, we'll talk to you all next week.